Give me a second, then I'll... It's good to see everyone out. Thank you for for your attendance. Thank you for your participation. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Thank you for your zeal. Thank you for your service to God. We've been talking the last few weeks about how we love God with our entire being. Ian, a couple of weeks ago, talked about our heart with all of our heart and how we do that. Then Nathan last week talked about our soul and our strength, our very life force. How do we do that? Our effort. Today we're going to talk about how do we love God with all of our mind? How do we do that? Not too complicated. An idea, a thought there, is it? The passage we've been using is in Mark, the 12th chapter, starting there in verse 28. The Bible says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, ask him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered, And the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall have no other gods before me. God is one. And as such, verse 30, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourselves. This, there is no other commandment greater than these. We know these passages. This is familiar to us. And we've certainly heard it the last couple of weeks. I want to take a little bit different spin on it today because the mind is different. The mind separates us. Our intelligence, our intellect separates us from the animal kingdom. They have strength. They have natural instincts. They have all the things that we have. But there are some things, and our mind is one of them, that separates us. God requires more of us. The scribe said, continuing on there, verse 32, So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. For there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Love. Love. And what did Christ say? When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. You're not far off. You're close to the kingdom of God because you recognize the value of love. This man who was an enemy of Christ, this man who had knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, incredible knowledge of the Old Testament, was an enemy of Christ. But he recognized in those Old Testament scriptures the emphasis God had on love. And Christ said, you're close, close to the kingdom of God. So let's talk about loving God with all of our mind. The scribe explained it. He called it understanding. We can call it intellect. We can call it reasoning. So if we say with all of our heart, as Ian described, that's heartfelt, sincere, genuine love. If we talk about our soul and our strength, as Nathan did, that's a skillful love. That's what we can do with our effort with our commitment and our dedication. And loving with our mind is that thirst for godly understanding and godly knowledge. A love of God is a love of that. 
It takes all of these. God requires that we love him with our total being. He gave everything for us. And he requires that we give it to him. First thing I want us to consider is we must love God with our mind. Because we can't love God with our entire being, as it explains to us here in the scriptures, if we don't love instruction, his instruction. Love God with all of our mind. Love his instruction. Solomon put it this way, my son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. Reproofs of correction are the way of life. The Jews had all of the information necessary, didn't they? They had everything they needed. They were never in the, in the course of mankind has a people been blessed. People had that, the advantages that the Jews had. But a few hundred years before Christ, the prophet Hosea, talking to the 10 northern tribes, told them, my people, God told them through Hosea, he said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. These are the 10 northern tribes that, that seceded from the two southern tribes and eventually became known as Samaria. They didn't want to go back to Jerusalem and worship. There was hard feelings now between them and, and the two southern tribes. They wanted to stay up there. They built their own altars. They built their own synagogues. And they started worshiping Baal. They started being immoral, pagan worship, incorporating that in to the worship of God. But they had all the knowledge. They had access to that information. And he told them, God told them, you are destroyed for lack of knowledge. How so? When they had the law of Moses, when they had all of the information necessary, how was it that they, were, that they had a lack of knowledge? He explains, because you've rejected knowledge. Continuing on there in verse 6, I will also reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of God. I will also forget your children on down in verse 10, because they ceased obeying the Lord. It wasn't a question of knowing. It was a question of not wanting, rejecting knowledge. And eventually, because they had rejected, they came to forget the law of God. In other words, they ceased to obey the word of God. So when we love God with all of our understanding... It's not just obtaining knowledge, is it? We know some very cynical people, some very uh, ungodly people who know the scriptures. So it's not just about knowing, is it? There's something more involved. You can't reject it, leading to forgetting it, and inevitably, you have to obey it. The very first Psalm, David said, the first verse, blessed, is the man. Do we understand that not blessed in this case, but blessed, happy, content? We all want to lead a contented life. We want to lead a, a, a you know, a, a content, a stable, comfortable 
life. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel, not in the advice of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters, by the rivers of water, that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. We want to be that guy, don't we? We want to be that person that's content. Doesn't mean we can ever be truly content in our service of God, but we're not striving. We're not so worried about things. We're not tense about everything that comes down. Blessed. Delight in the law of the Lord, and in his law, meditate day and night. If we want to love God with all of our being, and that includes understanding, we have to have a love of his instruction. As we mentioned a little bit a minute ago, God handpicked the Jews. Handpicked them, not because of who they were, but because of who their ancestors were. They had exclusive rights to the word of God, exclusive claim to the promises and the protection, providence of God, and they had instructions on how to worship and glorify God. The most blessed nation ever in the history of the world. Paul put it this way. I tell the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. To whom are Israelites the most complimentary name you could be called was an Israelite. Jacob, the heel catcher, wrestled with the angel of God all night long, and God changed his name to Israel. Israel means he who wrestles with God, but it also means prince of God. To be called an Israelite, a descendant of the prince of God. No higher praise. No higher praise on earth was to be called that. Paul understood that. Who are Israelites? To whom pertain the adoption? They alone were the sons and daughters of God Most High. They alone had access to the glory, the glory of following the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, to see the Red Seas open up, to see the walls of Jericho fall down, to see Gideon with a 300 and some odd defeat tens of thousands over and over again the glory of God the covenants the covenant to Abraham the covenant to Jacob the covenant passed forward to Moses all these different covenants the giving of the law how glorious was that how amazing was that on Mount Sinai the whole mountain shook smoke and fire the giving of the law, the service of God in the tabernacle, in the tent of tabernacle, and in the temple. The service of God, where God dealt, dwelt between the cherubim. The promises, the promises they alone were to be the recipients of the promise. Now the promises put to the entire world, but they held those promises, didn't they? Of whom are the fathers. 
and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. Coming of the, of the Messiah. Never has a people had it that good. Never before has a people had it that good. But here we are, Hebrews 5, Paul writing to the Jews said, talking about after the order of Melchizedek, a better high priest built upon better promises. Verse 11, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have had their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We need to be skilled in the word of God so that we can have our ability to reason, our conscience and our mental acuity trained, trained to recognize better good and evil. They didn't have that. They had all the information that was necessary for them. All of the prophecies that Christ fulfilled, they should recognize that immediately. They should have known that in a snap. Josephus said that the Jew at the time of Christ knew the law as well as he knew his own name. I'm sure that's hyperbole, but still, they knew the law, rejected Christ. They knew the prophecies, rejected its fulfillment. Luke 19, Jesus, as he drew near, verse 41, he saw the city, that's Jerusalem, and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the day that Jesus went into Jerusalem was their day, especially in this, your day, the things that make for you peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you, and your children within you, to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. They had the responsibility with the law of Moses that they knew like the back of their hand. They had the responsibility to welcome Christ, to point the way to the Messiah. He was the only. The law of Moses, the entire Old Testament, is 1,500 years of gibberish. Makes absolutely no sense except in the fulfillment of Christ, except as it, how it pertains to Christ. And it makes perfect sense. Apart from Christ, it makes no sense. They came up with multiple messiahs trying to come up with a way to fulfill the old law because you did not know the time of the visitation. Paul put it this way, talking about the Jews. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, for I bear them witness. They have a zeal. They had it in their heart. They had it in their effort. That eagerness, that enthusiasm, they had that but I bear them witness they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. How so? They had access to that knowledge. They had the zeal. They had the effort. How was it 
He explains, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Not according to knowledge, because they had not submitted to the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God revealed in the scriptures that they had. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law. Unto or for righteousness to everyone that believes. They rejected Christ. God's righteousness personified, exemplified in Christ. They rejected Christ who was the incarnation of the righteousness of God. Just as he is also the personification of the word of God. We understand that. John 1 In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. On down to verse 14, we know the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God in the scriptures personified in Christ because he is the word. He is the word of God, the righteous word of God. Paul puts it this way, for I'm not ashamed, Romans 1, 16, 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek for in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In the word of God, Jesus Christ's word, the righteousness of God is revealed. Personified in Christ, just as the word is personified in Christ. It wasn't that they didn't have the information, they rejected it. Ian quoted this a couple of weeks ago and it's, nailed their attitude, and I'd like to refer to it once more. Isaiah 30 and verse 9, that this is a rebellious people, lying children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophecy deceits. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Brothers and sisters, we have access to the Word of God today. We've been blessed, amazing blessings, amazing physical blessings, all blessings in Christ Jesus. The information is there, but it requires a thirst to understand it, a zeal to apply it, and a heartfelt, sincere application of it. We can't love God with our entire being if we don't love pursuing enlightenment, immersing ourselves completely in it. Then we must commit ourselves to understanding, accepting, and applying the Word of God. He wants all. He wants our all. He deserves our all. Blessed is the man who gives him all. Happy, content, See, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. It was a schoolmaster. It was the sole intent of 1,500 years of writings 
to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Galatians 3, 24. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So love God. Love Jesus Christ. Love his word with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind. We've been studying Acts on Wednesday night, and I hope you've uh, been able to hear some of that. Tim talked on Acts 26 Wednesday night. Fascinating. We're about to start the, the voyage of, of Paul to Rome and the shipwreck. And fascinating, fascinating. And Paul is before Agrippa, and he's giving his defense. And he talks about his conversion. And here's what he had to say. Acts 26 and verse 12. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You ever considered the fact that this is a few years after Christ died? And we have no account of Paul ever meeting Christ. So how was he persecuting Christ? How was he doing that? Christ had been dead for a few years. A little bit earlier, he explains what he was doing that caused Christ to say, you're persecuting me. Verse 9, he says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue, and I compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. As far as we know, Paul never met Christ, but he was persecuting Christ by persecuting the church. He persecuted members of the church, was mad, exceedingly angered at members of the church, condemned them publicly, spoke out against them publicly, approved attacks on members by others, not just himself, but on on attacks on members of the church by other people. He approved of that. He imprisoned members. He executed members. This is what Christ referred to as Paul persecuting him, him, Christ. That's how Christ defines that. What we do to each other, we do to Christ. What we do for each other, we do for Christ. He said many things Verse 9, he did that were contrary to the name of Jesus, was persecuting Christ when you persecute the church. Whatever we do for or against one another, Christ defines as doing that either for or against him. Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Actions against Christ can include being angry, as Paul was with church member, members, speaking out, publicly condemning members. 
failure to extend mercy, failure to extend consideration, failure to be respectful, failure to be kind, failure to be loving. Ouch. Ouch. You ever done any of those things? I certainly have. Sadly, I have. Ouch. When we do that, we're doing that against Christ. But on the other hand, we can do for Christ. And these are some of the things that I've seen this congregation do in the last few years, and it's, it's awesome. I'm not going to read down through the list because it's just a partial list. I've benefited from your service, and I've seen others benefit from your service. What we do for each other, we do for Christ. The time we take the sacrifices we make, the effort we give, the consideration, kindness, and patience that we extend to others, Paul, uh, Christ, defines that as doing that for him. Loving God, giving our entire being to love God, loves what separates us. We come through those doors, you've heard me say this, I didn't preach for many years, had a terrible experience when I was a teenager, and it did not go well, and you couldn't get me back up here. Doris and I get married, and we're worshiping in other places, in other towns, and different things. Very similar to the way we're worshiping here. But from the time my kids were this big, if they were given an option, please, Daddy, can we go to church in Pampa? I decided to preach. I wanted to shout that from the rooftops. Love is overruling everything else. Love draws us. Love will define us for or against us. And people come through those doors for any number of reasons. They may be curious. They may be scoffers. They may be seeking something they don't even know that they're seeking. But there's only one thing that will bring them back is if they recognize that we truly care about each other. That list of things you saw a couple of slides back, is one of the ways that we can show our love to God by showing our love to each other. Serve God by serving others. Our entire being to love God, to love Christ, to love His Word, and the application of it, and to love His church. Do we love the church? It's pretty easy to talk about those other ones, the top three. I'm not always very lovable. Some of you aren't either but you accept me, and that's love. We accept each other, and that's love. We recognize warts and all, as my mom, and those things that we do reveal that. Brothers and sisters, there's a critical need in the church throughout the world for your special brand of imagination, of skill, your unique point of view in applying the Word of God in your life. You're different than I am. We're all different. You're better at things than I am. We each have things that we do well and things we don't do as well. There's a critical need in the church for the things that you do, do well. Well, I'm not going to do that, Monty. I'm not going to do that. I've said that. Would you do it for Christ? Well, I can't do it. Well, would you try for Christ? Can't talk about love without First John 1 John 3, verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, 
and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. For whatever, for whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Confident, assured, blessed. These are all the things love separates us. Love defines us. Love draws us. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If our entire being is wrapped up and immersed in loving God and loving his son and loving his word and loving his church, that's going to overflow to everything. It's going to flow to every, overflow to everyone we meet. Love your neighbor as yourself. As therefore, we have opportunity to let us do good unto all men, especially those who are of the household of Christ. The last half of Romans 12 is an amazing definition of love. And we're going to read a few verses, and I encourage you to pull up Romans 12 and, and look that over to the end of the chapter. Paul said, let love be without hypocrisy. That's what we're talking about, a sincere love with every ounce of our being. How do we do that? We abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly, affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. That's the zeal, isn't it? Diligence, zeal, all our heart, all our life force, all our strength, and with all our mind, serving the Lord. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saint, saints given to hospitality. And he goes on and on, do's and don'ts. Read it. I encourage you to read it. I, I encourage you to find on what's on that list that, that you can do, that you can try. We've done it in the past. Let's do it in the future. Let's do it better in the future than we have in the past. Give our entire being to love God, to love Christ, to love his word, his church, and our fellow man. The lesson is yours. Thank you so much for your kind attention. But if you're not a child of God, we extend an invitation to you to know the love of God, to know the love of your brothers and sisters in Christ the love that we share, the blessings we share through the blood of a crucified Savior. If you're not, we have water ready, we have clothing. If you would confess his name before men and be buried with him in baptism, we would love to assist you with that this morning. Or if you are a member of the Church of Christ and, and you have something you need prayers of the church for, we would love to assist you, we'd love to serve you in any capacity that you need. If there's a gospel subject, we'd ask you to please come and sit on the front row and let us know how we can help you as we stand and sing. How deep the Father's love for us.